What we wanted to do was save lives. We wanted to make sure that there was a barcode on every single dose of medication and make sure it was the right drug for the right patient. We had seen uh, my mom have a medication error and it was really ugly, but, but as we delved into it, what we realized is that over 100,000 people were dying in hospitals every year because they were given the wrong drugs. And mm -hmm. we wanted to stop that. Even though we saw a problem and we had a solution, that wasn't what our customers bought. They didn't want to buy based on patient safety. They wanted to buy to either save money or make money. Um, that's what hospitals wanted to buy. So what we had to do was put in an inventory management platform as well as automation to improve productivity, reduce errors, um, and save space as well as enable patient safety. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. I just finished interviewing Mae McCarthy, who is our guest today. She is an amazing individual and woman who has developed six or seven businesses in her lifetime. One that actually went to $100 million worth of revenue, annual revenue. So this is not somebody who just showed up and fell off the pineapple train or wagon or whatever saying you want to use. She now is author of a brand new book, The Gratitude Formula, a seven-step success system to create a life that you love. And so we get into that component plus all her journey of being a successful entrepreneur, now being an angel investor and helping others to be successful as she reviews up to 60 or 70 or 80 business plans a year and then will invest in those that uh, she feels are worthy uh, of her time. She also talks about the importance of purpose in getting clear in life and also has this goal system within this gratitude formula where if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know where you want to be, then it's nearly impossible to get there. So CRG being the sponsor of the show, our focus for this uh, show is the my latest book, which is The Quest for Purpose. And the questforpurpose.ca, you can get a copy of it there. I outline a step-by-step -step, uh, format and process for you to get clear about what do you really value in your life. And May is evidence and proof, and she shares some research during the show about those individuals who have are clear about their purpose in organizations that are clear about their pur purpose are more successful and more profitable. So here we are with the next show with May McCarthy. So enjoy, she's just delightful. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we have the joy, the privilege of having amazing guests and expertise that share their wisdom with you so that you can have a more purposeful, and productive life contributing at the highest level and today is no exception now i have a colleague a new colleague who just lives south of me but decided to move to texas so that she could enjoy with her family a little more space and i've heard a rumor that texas has slightly more space than seattle so welcome to the show may mccarthy may oh welcome thank to the you show. so much i'm so happy to be here 
Well, we're going to get into your book, the brand new book, The Gratitude Formula here in, you know, sort of in a bit. But before we do that, we'd like to hear about uh, your journey in life. And so where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the West Coast or what was sort of your history as a teenager and your parents and sibs and those things? Well, I was born and raised in Hawaii and my uh, I'm the last of 10 children. So I grew up on so the a beach. small family. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, we you were. are the you are you're I bet you your sibs as I called them they would say this is the spoilt one in the family, the youngest you know, one. You know, you'd think so. I mean, that's what I hear that everybody mm. that's the last child is supposed to be that, but that certainly wasn't my experience. I have six older brothers right above me in age. And so if I got something that they wanted, well, Guess what? <laughs> well, are, you, are you suggesting that your brothers were not considerate towards you? No, I'm just saying that if they, <laughs> I had something they wanted. Now, contrary to that, I got a lot of very cool hand-me-downs, you know, hand-me-down bikes and hand-me-down surfboards and things like that. So uh, I certainly wasn't lacking for, for anything fun. Well, that's amazing. Now, what island were you on in Hawaii? Um, I, we lived on Oahu in a little town called Kailua, and um, we lived in this giant old beach house that used to be owned by a doctor who turned it into a mini hospital during World War II. And every time I go home, I, I go by there. Okay, cool. Now, when you think about Oahu and you go up past Diamond Head, into the, is it towards the North Shore? No, it's actually um, directly on the other side of the island from uh, Honolulu and Waikiki. So you would take either the Pali Highway or the um, Wilson Tunnel Highway. Hmm. Well, I don't and, know where that is. That yeah, so you get over to the windward side. Wow. And what did your dad, your, your parents do? My dad was a surgeon. And my mom was a nurse, but of course, you know, she had 10 kids. <laughs> so they moved over there in 1959 with seven kids and then had three more when they were there. And what my dad, my dad was really more of an entrepreneur. I mean, he was a fantastic surgeon, but he was, he was really an entrepreneur and he really um, stressed some values to us kids. And that one of the values was that, you know, they, they would always provide the necessary, you know, basics for us as children. But if we wanted anything extra, what we needed to do was look for people that had a problem that needed to be solved or a convenience that they could use. And that way we could facilitate a fair exchange of value with them and be able to receive money for giving mm. service. Or solving a problem. So I watched my sisters babysit and I watched my brothers cut hedges and mow lawns and wash cars and things like that. And I remember at six years old, I came to my mother and said, I see a problem. I see a problem. I can solve this. And so I explained to her that there were lots of people out on our beach in front of our house that didn't have cool things to drink. We didn't live on a public beach. There were no facilities there. Um, but I thought if I started a concession business and offered things for sale, that they would give me money and I would give them things to cool them off. And my mom helped me start my first business. 
and explained to me, you know, how we had to do pricing and cost of goods sold and things like that. And wow. it was only after several months of, of it doing well. And of course, I got paper plates and put up all my advertisements and stuck them to our fence around the outside. And so people could see that we were selling something. And um, what I didn't factor in right away was uh, this idea of inventory shrinkage when my brothers would eat our profits. <laughs> they would uh, take some product. But that was my first business. And then I had a whole bunch during high school and, and uh, junior high. And, and it, it, was great, it was a great lesson in this fair exchange of value principle. And I've carried that through in starting and growing seven different companies um, my largest was over a hundred million in annual revenues, and and that idea of facilitating a fair exchange of value, being of service, solving problems, creating conveniences, has really stuck with me, and I know is one of the main principles for being as successful as I've been. Mm. Well, congratulations, and May, you said that very quickly. I mean, the average listener on SOS, uh, May just said that she. Well, I just had one that went to a hundred million. Um, Almost most entrepreneurs, their businesses never get beyond $400,000. So $100 million is slightly higher than that. What was the business that you had started that reached that level? It was an international phone company. And what we did was we allowed people that were outside of the country that needed to make international calls we allowed them a phone number that was a United States phone number, and it was uniquely theirs. So they would call that number, hear it ring once, and hang up. Our switching equipment, our computers, essentially, to put it <laughs> really uh, in layman terms, our computers would recognize that somebody called in on that unique number, and we would have programmed into our system where to call them back. So we would call them back and give them U.S. dial tone at U.S. rates to make a second call anywhere in the world. And in some countries... That meant that they would save 90% on their phone calls. So I had just about every U.S. embassy, lots of expat oil companies, as well as a whole bunch of individuals um, all over the world on this system. Mm. Well, many of the young people that are, that are hopefully listening to this show, May, they won't remember the dollar a minute or 50 cents a minute long distance charges that many of us had to tolerate way back when we were younger. Right. So that business, I actually sold my interest in 2001. Um, after that, I had two uh, tech companies where we developed software and teamed it up with giant pieces of equipment to automate hospital systems and their drug distribution processes. So we, we really, what we wanted to do was save lives. We wanted to make sure that there was a barcode on every single dose of medications and make sure it was the right drug for the right patient. We had seen uh, my mom have a medication error and it was really ugly, but, but as we delved into it, what we realized is that over 100,000 people were dying in hospitals every year because they were given the wrong drugs and mm -hmm. we wanted to stop that. Now, the interesting thing is that even though we saw a problem and we had a solution, that wasn't what our customers bought. They didn't want to buy based on patient safety. They wanted to buy to either save money or make money. Um, that's what hospitals wanted to buy. So what we had to do was shift our focus so that we were solving another problem, which is 
to either save money or make money. So we put in an inventory management platform as well as automation to improve productivity, reduce errors, um, and save space as well as enable patient safety. And we mm. were able to help hospitals save millions of dollars by putting in just-in-time inventory programs. And in some cases, we were able to cut their inventory on hand by almost 40%. Cool, cool. So that's pretty cool. Now, May, we jumped right over into this $100 million business, but I want to digress for a minute. And so thank you for all of that information and amazing. And thank you for your work that way as well. You're in Hawaii. And so you end up being in Seattle. What's the journey there as where did you go to university and, 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 and where did you sort of start the formal entrepreneurial side after college or did you go to college? Yeah, I did. I, it was really interesting in, in Hawaii at my public high school, there was a school that came to recruit called Seattle University, Jesuit school in downtown Seattle. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I'll apply there. And I applied to half a dozen other schools that were in California and Washington and Idaho. And I was accepted to all of them. But as, as it turned out, about six months before I was going to make my decision, my sister and her husband and child, young, young baby, had moved down to Seattle from Alaska. And I thought, well, you know, it would be nice to have some family. So I chose Seattle University and lived in the dorms the first year. And while I was going to school there, uh, right before my sophomore year started, my sister and I started the first of my seven businesses. And uh, we put on fashion shows and, and retailed garments through those fashion shows. So we had about 60 shows a week in Seattle and Portland and sold Hang franchises. Hang on, stop, stop me, sorry. Did, did I hear 60, 60? Yeah, we, yeah, I had wow. about, 200, about 250 me? employees. So where were you doing 60 shows a week in Seattle? We were doing it, well, when I say Seattle, I mean Washington State primarily. Right. So we were uh, mostly in uh, Marriott's, the Edgewater, Sheraton's, Hilton's, places like that on a weekly basis. Wow. We did specialty shows for um, armed forces. Um, we we put on these giant uh, runway fashion shows for uh, at the Edgewater for uh, uh, business people lunches. <laughs> you know, it was real fun. We had Steve Rabel and Wayne Cody that were commentators. If you remember those names, mm-hmm. uh, but it, Steve Rabel is now a I think a, a television news anchor, but he used to play for the Seahawks and Wayne Cody was a a sports commentary. And and so we just had a whole bunch of fun. So we put on one of those every year with about 800 people in the audience. And it was great fun at the Edgewater on beautiful rainy days. (laughs) So we did that. And uh, then I had a stint at Boeing for a year and a half. And then I had a stint at Johnson and Johnson for a year and realized that I really like having my own business. So came back to Seattle and opened up a resale of long distance service. I took a MCI's telephone service that was reserved only for Fortune 500 clients 
And we turned that into a reselling, rebilling platform for hospitals. So I got a, about 2,500 healthcare related hospitals, clinics, um, suppliers, anybody that was related to healthcare, and I got them to get onto our telephone service. And just by agreeing to pay me in seven days from receiving their bill, they could cut their phone bill in half. Mm-hmm. So now, that, that was really fun, and we made a lot of money doing that. And then we got into the international phone uh, company and then got into um, teleradiology and telemedicine, but it was a little early. They hadn't figured out all the regulatory processes yet for how uh, a doctor, let's say Johns Hopkins, could actually practice in Washington State without having a license, you know, mm-hmm. using telemedicine. So they hadn't, we were a little early there, but we still had really terrific data services. So for radiology groups that had traveling radiologists that would go around to rural hospitals, uh, the service worked really great. Mm. And then well, I have two sense. companies in uh, software and equipment for large hospital systems. Well, it seems like your parents' medical background had a slight influence in some of the direction on who you served. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't know why. I mean, I, it certainly, I wasn't consciously thinking of it. None of the businesses that I've been in, except for my very first one at six, <laughs> Um, none of the others were my ideas. What I know how to do is is create business plans and figure out how businesses can operate profitably and, and what the pathway and the funding requirements and things like that will be to get to profitability and how we can serve our customers in really great ways and, and explain how we can serve them in easy to understand means. So those are my talents. But in terms of being the idea person never i've always hooked up with really great partners who mm. who probably um you know in some cases some of my partners probably would have never walked the entrepreneurial route um they didn't they didn't have the courage to just leave a company um without a steady paycheck and so we had to do some creative things to get to get them bitten by the entrepreneur bug and then, uh, and then they're hooked. They would never go back mm. to corporate America after that. Well, there we go. We we are a disease, aren't we? In a positive <laughs> way. Yes, so, May, what's? How do you say your company name correctly now? Biz. Bizalts. Business. Bizalts. Business results. So spell that uh, for the listeners because they're trying to get their brain around how bizalts. So how how's that go? So spell that. Okay, so our tagline is Accelerating Business Results. Um, so it's B-I-Z-Z-U-L-T-Z, Bizults. But if you just go to MayMcCarthy.com, that'll take you to my Bizults website. So, well, uh, thank you for all that you're doing. Now, we're going to get into your book here in just a moment. But before we do that, what is the main focus of your company right now uh, globally? What are you doing um, uh, well, well, this one, this one's mostly a a labor of love. Bazaltz and McCarthy Holdings work hand in hand. So for about twenty five years or more than that, I've been an angel investor, and what that means is uh, I look at probably eighty to a hundred different companies a year, and then I pick a handful a year that I want to invest in. And angel investors usually come in anywhere from 
you know, let's say $25,000 to $250,000. That's usually the sweet spot. But they're early stage companies. Uh, If you've ever seen Shark Tank. Of course. I'm like a dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a minnow. (laughs) A little minnow in comparison to them. And I don't make decisions as quickly as they do. But but there's a there a very very strong angel investor um, activity that goes on in the United States, and this is early stage. It's after you've used your own money to bootstrap your business, and after you've gone out to friends and family who know you and know your character and and really trust that you can execute on what you've described as your plan. Angel investors are that. The high net, excuse me, the high net worth individuals who you don't know, or maybe someone in your sphere of influence knows somebody that's an angel Mm -hmm. investor. So you get an introduction or you go through an angel group like Karetsu or Puget Sound Venture Club. And Vancouver has a very robust angel uh, group network up there. Um, But but all over the country, there are angel group networks. You could just do a search online. And you, there are ways that a venture can apply to present to the group. So I belong to several groups and I look at lots of deals and people that I've made money with before will call me up and ask me to look at deals. And sometimes I serve on boards for those companies as well. So that's part of what I do. And the, sec- the other thing I do is I consult with small to medium-sized businesses and also executives who sometimes when you're a CEO or an executive of a company, um, it can, it can be very lonely and you can't there. It's hard to have somebody that will hold you accountable if you're alone as the CEO, which is one of the reasons I'm such a big proponent of having a business partner, somebody you can talk to. But a mm-hmm. lot of CEOs are up at the at, at the leadership role, and they can't be super close with their employees. They can't be, they can't scare their employees if things are are you know if they're having a bit of a crisis that they have to keep under control. They can't talk to their board members um, really uh, honestly, you know, because they want to show a good face to their board all the time, and they certainly can't talk to their investors honestly when a crisis. Uh, looks like it's looming or happening because they want to show that they're capable. So it can get kind of lonely. And so what I do is it's like an executive consulting where I will meet with them once a month um, and we'll talk about their goals. We'll talk about their challenges. We'll come up with some strategies and I give them tasks, really small bites to do in a month's period of time to get to the next level. So we not only focus on their business and their career, but also on everything else that's going on in their life, their health, their relationships. Uh, if they have any, you know, um, spiritual practice, you know, talking a little bit about that, um, relationships with their family and their community, um, recreation, you know, we, we need to be balanced and balance can be a goal. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I don't know if you have, but I can remember times early on in my career where, you know, it was I would work myself to the point where my body would finally say, I need you to take a break and you're not listening. So I'm just going to make you sick. 
you know, yeah, and then right. you have. Sorry, you're in they, bed for a week. There you go. Okay. Or, or a couple of days or even one day and then you feel better. But it, it doesn't have to be that way. We we can work efficiently and smartly and not have to to burn ourselves out. So we that's something that I do as well. And then I also am a professional speaker. So companies and individuals and spiritual organizations hire me to come in and speak and teach workshops and do retreats and things like that. Cool. Well, thank you, uh, May, for that uh, overview. And, you know, it's interesting because I do, I've done 160 plus podcast interviews, 100 shows where I've been a guest. And one of the common things that is really out there right now, and I'm a certified coach, is just the importance of having uh, somebody beside you to take you and be with you as you go through these journeys, no matter uh, what your position. Nobody's beyond uh, having sort of an advisor or a coach beside them. Yeah, I think when people isolate themselves um, and try and do it all themselves, uh, I'm, I've had cancer in my past. And one of the things that I think was a trigger for that cancer was this idea of holding on to, um, I don't want to say control because that's not the right word, but wanting stuff to be so perfect and wanting mm. it to be not just operating with excellence, that's different, but wanting it to be so perfect and stressing out so much about it that it, it, it triggers your cells and your physiology to, to go a little radical in order to get your attention because it's unhealthy. And as mm-hmm. I talked about other talked with other people who have experienced cancer, they've agreed. They said, you know, the, the the they're still studying how stress and this this unreasonable um, stress that we put on ourselves can, in fact, make make ourselves go radical and, and make us sick. Well, oddly enough, May, we just, I just finished recording a podcast that it was on health and wellness, and we were talking about stress. We have actually have a stress assessment, and I have a diploma in nutrition genetics, so we agree with you 100% that stress is a major issue out there right now, and it, it, the whole thing about epigenetics, right? How mm-hmm. our mindset and stress affects our DNA and what, how it responds. So um, you figured it out and at least working on it, as all of us are. So I want to thank you for that insight. You're welcome. <laughs> so, May, when we, when we think about the future, one of the things you know, we wanted to hear more about now, and we have probably about uh, 12 to 15 minutes left, to spend a little bit of time on your, new, on your book, The Gratitude Formula, a seven-step success system to create a life that you love. So take us through the journey of writing this book and and what's in it, May. Well, I actually wrote the gratitude formula um, after I started receiving tons and tons of feedback from people who had read my first book called The Path to Wealth. And they were having great success in achieving more of their goals for the goals that they thought were possible. But for the goals that they thought were impossible, 
they were going to give up because they weren't getting what I refer to as intuition or gut instincts or something that gives them direction on what steps to take to achieve their goals. And so they figured since they weren't getting any um, intuitive directions that probably it wasn't the goal for them. And what I wanted them to know is that, look, success is not a secret. It's a system. And you've been able to achieve goals using a system for the things that you believe are possible. All we need to do is shift your beliefs to possibility in order for you to achieve the goals that you right now think are impossible. Now, let me give you an example of that. One of my Mm -hmm. friends is a scientist uh, who actually works for a cancer research center. And she uh, wanted to be a singer and get paid to do that part time. And she was writing down every single day. I asked people to write down, read out loud and imagine being in their completed goal with gratitude. So instead of saying, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to be debt free, you would describe what your life is like after you've already lost those 10 pounds after you already are debt free and be grateful for that. So I'm grateful that I'm physically fit, trim, toned, energetic, healthy, in a pain-free body. You see the difference? Mm-hmm. So I, she was writing that down and how, using all sorts of great language to describe how she was successful and joyful and, and entertaining audiences and being of great value to the people that hire her. And she was having a lot of fun, but she wasn't getting any intuitive directions to take steps along a path that would lead her to her goal. So she said she was going to give up. And when I was talking to her, I asked her, well, first of all, can you sing? (laughs) So she sang for me and I got goosebumps. I mean, she's a very good singer. And I said, well, had you ever thought about becoming a professional singer? She said, oh, yeah, I, I wanted to do that when I was young, but my parents told me it was foolish. They said no one makes any money as a professional singer on a regular Mm. basis, that the careers are short-lived, that it was a foolish thing to do. If I wanted to sing for fun, that was fine, but to make a career out of it was foolish. What I needed to do was go to college, get a sensible degree, and plan for my future um, in a secure way. Mm. So I became a scientist. (laughs) You don't know what I'm thinking about that right now or want to know. But we, with all the guests, that's... I mean, I know they're well-meaning, but it is sad, isn't it? It is sad. So I told her all she needed to do, in addition to writing down, reading out loud, and imagining being in that completed goal with gratitude, what she needed to do was go meet some singers and go online and read some stories about people becoming singers and start to familiarize yourself with their journey. Start to make yourself um, realize that they're no different than you are. So she did. And over the next couple of months, she met lots of different singers. And she started to get to the point where she thought, you know, I could do that. They're no different than I am. I mean, some of them have come from backgrounds um, that haven't even been as good as mine. I could do that. And so she found herself at a fundraiser for her cancer research center at a beautiful mansion. And over in the corner was a trio. And she inched over there and she watched the woman singing. And right then, her brain really believed that she believed it was possible. Mm. 
all of a sudden she started to get intuitive directions and she got one direction to go here and she ended up at a different event um, sometime later. And at that event, she met a guy who had said that he had been commissioned by his community to put on an event at the community center and he had an entertainment budget. So her gut is yelling at her now. Her intuition is saying, tell him you're a singer. Tell him you're a singer. So she blurts that out. And he said, great, come audition. And she got her first paying job. Now I have, I'm happy to report that she's singing regularly, part-time, getting paid for it, having a ball. She still loves being a scientist, but she has achieved her goal. So I wrote the gratitude formula primarily to remind people how powerful they are and that, mm. that there are going to be goals that they will achieve pretty simply as a result of using a daily success practice. But the ones that they think are a little impossible, don't give up on those. Just go meet people and read stories about people that have achieved what you want. Start to make their journeys familiar and welcome to you. That will strengthen a different neural pathway in your brain that will be associated with the new belief in possibility and repetition of the daily practice and making what you want familiar and welcome will end up reaping some, some great rewards. Mm. May share with us, um, with the listeners, the importance of saying this out loud. Uh, you're, you're asking your clients to do this for a reason. What's that reason? Well, when you re uh, speak something out loud, that power of your word actually overpowers everything that you're thinking about. I mean, you could do this as an experiment. Think about something negative and then start speaking words that are positive and affirming. Your spoken word will always overpower your thoughts. And it will also anchor the meaning more fully within you. I mean, think about, think about the last time you might have bought a car. You know, if leading up to buying that car, you started talking about buying a car and you started talking about how great it's going to be having a new car. You started narrowing down all of the different mm -hmm. models and maybe even went and test drove a car. But you were essentially talking to your friends and your family and about your new car before you had it. Didn't you start to notice that car driving around everywhere? You of never course. noticed that car before. But now that you've been speaking about it, your subconscious and your intuition go on high alert to point out possibilities and illuminate. They, they essentially filter billions of pieces of data that are coming at you so that those things that are in alignment with your goal can be noticed by you. So speaking those goal statements out loud with gratitude, I'm so grateful that I'm healthy. I'm so grateful that I'm financially free with a minimum or more of X number of dollars to use and enjoy, to bless others with and to invest in increase. As you speak those words out loud, the meaning gets anchored more fully within you and you start to notice more possibilities that are in alignment with your goals. Mm. Now, May, um, I might have maybe not listened 100%. How did you discover that your friend wanted to sing? She had some other directions. She wasn't getting this intuition. How did you even discover that she had this singing sort of idea or, or goal or dream hidden underneath there? How did you even know that? Okay, so I travel all over the world um, 
companies and organizations hire me to come and speak and teach. So I may come and do a, uh, you know, 30 to 60 minute talk. Then there might be a two and a half hour workshop where we do hands on stuff. And this woman was in one of my workshops and I generally do a follow up and provide a whole bunch of free information and a thank you for coming to the workshop. So she had a way to contact me. Well, she contacted me and told me about all of these wonderful successes that she was having in achieving goals, but she was going to give up on her goal for singing. Mm. That's how the conversation started. I just said, wow, that May's really good to know that without... <laughs> Oh, no, no. <laughs> so she let me paying, know. I was paying attention. I said, I must have missed something, but that's good. So she knew that it was underlying there and that your insight was is that some of these other goals, she was waylaying that one and it was affecting her ability to be uh, fulfilled. So thank you for that. Now, right. She just figured that since she wasn't getting any intuitive direction, that it must not be the right goal. Mm. See, what happens is because she had such a strong belief that had been given to her when she was young, singing for fun is good. Singing for money, not so good. That was what she had been conditioned to understand since she was a little girl. So when she would write down that she was so grateful that she was a successful singer and being rewarded financially for it, her brain knew that deep down she didn't believe that that was possible because she was trained to believe something else. Mm -hmm. So her brain essentially put those intuitive messages on mute. And as soon as she started to recognize, wow, if those singers can do it, I can do it. As soon as she started to learn all those stories and realize that there were lots of people that were making money singing part-time, and if they could do it, I could do it. Then her brain said, okay, you now believe that it's possible. I'll take this intuition off mute. Mm. Great. Thanks for that clarification. That was awesome. Sure. Now, I can't believe we only have five minutes left. It's gone so quickly, May. And uh, what are some of the other steps that are in your the Gratitude Formula book? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I guess one of, the, one of the things that I would say in particular is that people need to create goals that are powerful. And a lot of people will say what they don't want, thinking that they're describing their goal. For instance, I had a salesperson that used to work for me and she used to say, gosh, I hope I'm not going to be late and make a bad impression. She was always dead last in the, in the quota lineup. You know, she sold the least out of all the salespeople. So I flew out to ride with her and I started hearing these things. I hope I'm not late. I hope I don't make a bad impression. I hope that I can convey the information that I need to convey so that our competitors don't take this business. She was saying things that she didn't want to have happen. And here's the interesting thing about your subconscious. What it does is make a mental picture. If I walk around and say, I don't want to break my leg, it's going to make a mental picture of me breaking my leg. Consequently, I'll probably break my leg. 
So what was happening for her was she was late, she was making a bad impression, and she was losing business to competitors. So she had to shift her words. So shifting your words to describe what you do want with gratitude as though it's already complete, that is key. And then also, um, I, I like to tell people that they should also discover their purpose. And the purpose is the why that they're here to do what they do, not what they do. And if they're a business owner, they need to have a purpose for their business, the why that their business exists, which is different than what their business does. Ernst & Young did a study in 2015 that was published in the Harvard Business Review. And after interviewing almost 500 major corporate CEOs, they learned that those companies that had purpose statements and all their stakeholders bought into it, the why that their company existed tended to be more profitable. And that's been our experience as well. But a why did we do our business? Why did we exist? To save lives. Very different than what we did. Kellogg's um, manufactures and distributes food products. But why do they do it? To nourish families so they can flourish and thrive. So creating a purpose statement, a why that you do what you do, will end up fueling your passion. And you'll, I, you'll tend to be more creative and more motivated and uh, more, more passionate about what you're doing. And as you know, you know, passion is a very, very big characteristic mm. that somebody needs to have success. Uh, May, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on that one. I was at a, of all places, a career conference and a speaker at it. And one of the keynote uh, speakers said, you know what, passion is overrated. And I said, what? What is this guy saying? It's, it's, I mean, once you get connected to that purpose, then this sort of intuitive, we call it the sort of this compelling um, inspiration comes out of that person. And so thank you for um, validating that uh, comment or position that we have here at CRG May. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a vital characteristic for anyone that wants to be successful. Now, we only have a couple more minutes, but before we um, get into, I'll call it your final words of wisdom, May, how can people get a hold of you and find out more about you, maybe uh, hire you as a speaker, get your book, um, get you as a coach? What are the different ways that they can get a hold of you? Probably the easiest way would be to go to maymccarthy.com. That's just my name, M-A-Y. M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y, and that will land on the book page of my business website. And there are lots of free resources there, uh, free chapters of my books, lots of videos, all sorts of stuff, and, and also a list of public speaking events that I'll be at all over the world. So um, maymccarthy.com is probably the easiest way to, to start and get some free information. Well, thanks, May. Now, May, we've covered a fair amount of information, and obviously you have way more to share. And so we'll just talk about having you back maybe sometime. I'd love that. In the meantime, May, if you were to leave the listeners with two or three nuggets, pieces of wisdom with all the things that you've done, what you've overcome, uh, the courage it took to start all these multiple different companies – Beyond what you've already shared, what are two or three things, actionable items that the listeners, the SOS listeners, could embrace and implement right after this show? 
I would say that the most important thing is to implement a daily practice, a daily goal attainment practice. First thing in the morning, wake up, set your alarm for 25, 30 minutes earlier than you normally do, and sit someplace quiet. Read something inspirational, something that puts you into a receptive mood, something that shows that if other people can do it, you can do it. Um, for about five to 10 minutes. Then write out your gratitude statements. And these are your goal, things that you're grateful for that you have and things that you're grateful for that you want, but describe them as though you already have them. Mm. Then speak that letter. So write that letter for up to 10 minutes. Then speak that letter out loud. Read out loud what you just wrote for about five minutes and then pick one of those goals and use a technique that many U.S. Olympic athletes and, and other professional musicians and, and whatnot use. And what they'll tell you is that you need to close your eyes and see yourself in the completed movie after you've achieved your goal. What is your life like in that healthy body? What is your life like in that successful business as CEO, in that um, when you're opening your bank statement and you see all of that money in your account? What is your life like with harmonious relationships with your family, your friends? But pick one goal, a different one each day, and see yourself in the movie of the completed goal. And then go off and watch for signs, for gut instincts, for strong creative thoughts to take some action and have the courage, as Steve Jobs said, to follow your heart and your intuition. They never steer you wrong. So that's it. Well, it's a lot, actually. <laughs> so, so, May, thank you for being delightful and joining us on SOS. Well, thank you for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure. Well, listeners, you've been listening to May McCarthy. Her book, The Gratitude Formula, a seven-step success system to create a life that you love. Obviously, May has the track record. She's been there. She's done it. So pay attention. Go to her site. Get her book. And then find out how that can transform your life. You know that we've been teaching here at CRG for 30 plus years. That purpose is important. So take responsibility. Get clear. Spend the time to reflect on what's most important in your life. Thank you as always for spending your most valuable commodity your time here if you like what we're doing just please share pass it on let other people know leave a positive response in whatever platform you're listening to thank you for listening to secrets of success i'm your host dr ken keys thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us if you want to keep the momentum going log on to crgleader.com scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails you can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.